You're now listening to Sound Talent Media. Check out more shows at SoundTalentMedia.com. Welcome to a new episode of Delirious Nomads, brought to you by Blacklight Media Records, a weekly podcast hosted by yours truly, celebrity chef Chris Santos. I hate calling myself that. I'm underground metal connoisseur Matt Bacon, who loves being called that. This is your new favorite podcast for all things heavy metal, as well as breakdowns of your favorite combat sports and riffing on some food talk every week with very special guests from across the globe. Hello and welcome to the Delirious Nomads podcast. I am here today with the one and only illustrious Rob Wrong. How are you today, Rob? I'm good, Matt. How are you doing? Aggravated about a life. <laughs> <laughs> Let's talk about this. You've been for a few years now up after sort of retiring from touring a little bit, at least temporarily, you've been running a studio and it's starting to go really well. Can you talk about this? Yeah. Um, just being, you know, in, as a musician, uh, recording in studios all my life and being kind of a hobbyist, I decided to move into a place that had a setup halfway done and finish it. And, you know, acoustically treated a basement and decided I wanted to do something that I've always really cared for. And that was kind of the production of music and recording it. And in an affordable way that, you know, a lot of the local Portland bands, because there's a thriving hard rock metal scene here, um, could get in. And, you know, I feel like I have a pretty good grasp on what people want in that regard. So I, I, you know, I just, um, took my skills and applied them and it took a lot of extra studying and things I didn't know, but here I am. What do people want out of a good mix? Well, <laughs> they don't know, but you do. It's a mixed bag. You know, a lot of, a lot of bands will come in and they'll have some kind of reference tracks, you know, of bands that, you know, albums that they've heard or they like, and they, they'll say, you know, we want it along these lines. From my perspective, it's, it's hard because there's certain things you have to do in a mix. You know, you got to make sure everything is um, not crowded and there's plenty of room and there's space for everything in a mix. So there's a lot of things that go into it that you don't know if you've never really sat and done it. Um, sure. But, you know, for the most part, people just want, you know, they're they're usually just very um, fond of things that they've heard in the past. And they're like, we want it to sound like this. So I try to get, you know, as close as I can to that. No, that makes sense. And so then... One of the things that really sets your studio apart is you have the Dolby uh, Atmos mix. Talk about this, because this is interesting. Okay, well, it was interesting to me because I, I started listening to mixes in Dolby Atmos and had dabbled in listening to things in 5.1 in the past, you know, and there seemed to be more of an interest in it. So I have a, a main room that I record in that's about 16 by 12 feet. And I have to like, actually, I, I converted that into a mix room. So that's my temporary mix room from when I'm doing Atmos mixes. It's basically, instead of surround where everything is at ear level and around you, this has ceiling speakers as well. So you're basically mixing in a cube. But the thing about Dolby Atmos is that it translates over into, you know, any amount of speakers, whether you have a 5.1 setup or a 7.1.4 like I do in my room, which is, you know, left, center, right, surround, left and right, rear surround, left and right, and then 0.1, which is the subwoofer, and then four up on top, uh, front, left, 
front right ceiling and rear left, rear right ceiling. Um, you can do anything between, you know, two speakers with what they call a binaural rendering, which um, works for headphones and emulates the sound all the way up to like, you know, a 40 speaker theater and you're mixing inside of a cube. So when you're looking at, when you're doing the mix, you're actually mixing in a room. So the sounds go in that room, no matter how many amount of speakers you have. It's a little bit of a difficult task to get it to sound right as well. Um, and there's a lot of rules involved. And right now it's still kind of scary. So there's, a, you know, there's some people that I've done mixes for, but there's a lot of people that think it's a gimmick. And then there's other people that think, you know, they just don't think it's going to, it's going to last you know, or it's ever going to be anything. But I decided to take the dive because a lot of people weren't doing it. When I started out, there was about 500 studios in the world that were able to do it. There's probably at least triple that now or quadruple that. Now, I, I only mix for music and um, I'm only, I'm not licensed to do like a major motion picture, like the next X-Men movie or anything like that. <laughs> you know, you have to be certified by Dolby, but um I, I went by the Dolby requirements and standards to do my rooms, so I'm able to mix for music and even like uh, Blu-ray for um, independent films or even things on Netflix or, uh, you know, streaming video I could do. Um, but I primarily concentrate on the music stuff. It's complicated enough. <laughs> so, like, are you mixing for each individual speaker at that point? No, that's the thing. So... There's a view of a person sitting in a room and you, and there's objects and you can put those objects anywhere within the room. And no matter where the speakers are in whatever kind of setup, it actually mixes the music to the speaker setup that is being played through. So all the all the individual tracks are actually all the audio is on one set of tracks and then there's a whole a section of metadata that goes with the Dolby Atmos file. So when you're when you're actually when you're actually mixing, you're mixing in what would look like a theater, like a guy sitting in the middle of a theater. Sure. Um, so primarily, you you do things like you put like the vocals in the front center, the kick and the snare in the front center, and you know you you want to get kind of a, a static stereo mix going, and um, that's called the bed. So you have bed tracks and object tracks. Now, object tracks I primarily use for, say, lead guitars, um, effects, uh, reverbs. You know, you can have reverbs sound like, you know, when the drums are playing, you hear the the kind of ambient stage reverb up front, and then you can hear more of the room reverb in the back. So I try to make it more like you're sitting in a live setup. And then with, like, leads and keyboards, and I did a Blu-ray recently. They had saxophone and keyboards and multiple vocals and i did those kind of all around you so it's very immersive you know how much longer does this take than a normal mix well the way to do it is you get your stereo mix going because most streaming media like apple music and amazon and title they require you to have a, a stereo mix sure so you get your stereo mix going and depending on what they want you know sometimes it's like you know take all all the liberties you want and put it wherever you want. But sometimes they want it true to the stereo mix. So once you have the stereo mix down and you have the multi-track session with all of your EQing and all that stuff done, from there you can actually um, bounce all the stems with all the, the basic um, EQ choices and compression and things like that. And then you put all those tracks in a new session and then you assign, um, you know, the 
the bed tracks to which I like to do, like I said, the drums and the bass and the rhythm guitars, and then the vocals and everything else all assigned to objects. So, you know, you can pretty much, if you already have the stereo mix done, you can get a Atmo, Atmos mix going for a song if you're really on it in about a day, you know. Um, if it's a okay. whole album, the songs, you can you can pr- get it done pretty efficiently. So it's a next step, but it's not insanity. Well, there's two ways you can do it. That's the way everybody's been doing it. But nowadays, in more recent times, and when I mean by recent times, because it's so new, um, in the last few months, a lot of people are actually just mixing in Atmos and then folding it down into stereo, which you can do at a touch of a button. And if it sounds good in stereo with the Atmos mix, they'll just bounce that stereo mix and use that. Gotcha. Yeah. The real trick is, is to get the Atmos mix to sound good, even when you fold it down into stereo and they, you put all that information into two speakers. If it still sounds good, then you're onto something. That really is the key, in my opinion. So you're starting in, in, in Atmos and then going to traditional. A lot of people do that now, yeah. You know, like I said, when they first started out, they were doing stereo mixes because that's what labels wanted and that's what bands wanted. And then the Atmos mixes were an afterthought, kind of like what they're doing with like, you know, all the old Elton John and Guns N' Roses and Beatles and stuff. They're going back in there and creating Atmos mixes. But, you know, I find that when I've mixed stuff in Atmos and I fold it down to stereo, it actually sounds better to me in stereo than the stereo mix I made a lot of the time. So because you're pulling from a bunch more perspectives, right? Like I feel like if you're mixing in stereo, you've got headphones on, you've got left ear or right ear. You don't have behind and above me. Exactly. So a lot of the rules that Dolby has put in place are like, you know, levels are a big thing. You can't you can't brick wall it like you can a stereo mix because it's a lot of information. So an Atmos mix is generally a lot quieter. Which is a good thing. Yes. But, you know, for now, I'm still doing stereo mixes because that's what bands want to take home and hear as rough mixes. If they want an Atmos mix later, I use Logic Pro, so I'm able to actually convert a mix on the fly, too, because Logic Pro has the built-in parameters to mix an Atmos without the Dolby Atmos suite, which is separate. So it's it's really complicated. There's, <laughs> you know, like if you're working in Pro Tools um, in the past, you would have to have a separate program running at the same time and it would send information to this program in order to hear the the mix in Atmos. But because I, I learned on GarageBand and Logic, you know, 15, 20 years ago, I chose Logic because I knew it really well already. And they happen to be one of the companies. There's there's a there's a few. I think Cubase, there's a couple of DAWs that have Logic built into it. It makes it a lot easier. I hardly ever use the Dolby Atmos production suite these days because i can just get away with mixing right in logic and i can convert the stereo mix i've already made right into a a dolby atmos project very easily and continue from there how many it's mixed in doubly jokes do you make on an average (laughs) you can't you can't record in doubly that's the thing (laughs) (laughs) i'm glad you immediately knew what i was talking about oh yeah of course man (laughs) Now that you now that you live it, uh, you might as well. Yeah, I did live it. <laughs> so let's circle back on this because that's that's such an interesting addition, and you're like the only basement studio to have that, basically. Probably in Portland. I know there's a a few other studios. I mean, they're popping up because a lot of musicians are starting to see this as 
a means to do things that people have been trying to accomplish for like 40 or 50 years with a stereo field. There's a lot of pushback from certain people that I think are scared about it or how am I going to be able to get all these speakers and make it sound right? You know, but you know, if you have a pair of like um, beats or AirPod pros and you can stream Apple music, like it does a really damn good job of rendering the stuff into a stereo field where you can hear objects above you and behind you. Yeah. And I've listened to records that were mixed down into stereo on my AirPod pros. And I was like, Oh, this is, it's just cool. It feels like we're reaching like, this weird new spatial dimension of music that like you really didn't i feel like the only times you really had that before were stuff that was either recorded live in a room or like every once in a while like uh who's the guy who produced all the classic thin lizzie records oh man you're killing me mutt lang would do this too right where like you got the like and like you that would pan across your ears but it feels like there's like a spatial element to music now that people like you are bringing to the table that's just like this whole new layer that only really the like absolute god tier guys could even kiss uh 20 years ago yeah you know 20 years ago or even 30 years ago or 40 years ago they were doing it with reverbs and delays you know and you know a lot of guys were really good at that you know uh guys like uh, alan parsons the people that did, you know, the Pink Floyd records. And and um, there's a lot of albums in the 80s that were, were done really well with uh, when things started becoming digital. You know, adding that spatial element to stereo mixes has always been one of those things that people are were trying to achieve and still trying to achieve today because, like I said, there's still a lot of pushback with the, with the Atmos there's a lot of naysaying and there's a lot of people that are true believers. But the thing is, is that a lot of these people that don't believe it's going to do something for the music industry are the people that have never actually sat in a room and experienced it with a full uh, 7.1.4 setup or, you know, only heard things in a, a theater. Like any, if you've seen any major motion picture in the last 12 years, it was done in Atmos. And, but, you know, with things like the, the, is it the Amazon Echo? The speaker systems that you can buy with the Bluetooth speakers where you can get multiple of these Bluetooth speakers and set them up in a room and it will translate an Atmos mix into those speakers now. Or the Amazon Echo that's got a bunch of speakers in one container and it throws the sound around the room. So it's kind of like mono and stereo, you know, where people were fighting that in the 60s. People like the Beatles and Brian Wilson didn't believe that stereo was anything more than a gimmick. And then there's the people that say, well, quadraphonic failed and 5.1 failed. Well, this is different because it's not, you're not assigning things to a speaker. Like I said, it's actually being mixed inside of a, a space and it translates into any, you know, number of speakers that is capable of rep replaying Dolby Atmos. I also feel like quadraphonic and 5.1 failed, but I also feel like they had a pretty indelible impact on like, I feel like the guys like you, like the nerds, it opened up your minds to new things. Would you agree with that analysis? Oh, absolutely. The one thing, you know, I, I heard, you know, my parents had that friend with the, the hi-fi system back in the 70s that had the Quadrifani records, uh, Pink Floyd. The problem with a lot of the things that I did hear that were done in Quadrifonic or 5.1 in the last 35 years is that they were mixed really bizarrely like where you had the bass of one channel and the guitar in one channel 
and the drums back here and <laughs> the voice over here or wherever, you know, it was more of just like, oh, we can do this. So we're going to we're going to put this stuff far right. away from each other. But it's not really what people want to hear. You know, in that regard, there's a lot of junk Dolby Atmos mixes floating around, too, that are just afterthoughts. But but the people that are doing the good mixes, it's mind blowing. And some of the records that I've heard where I wouldn't even like think about it, you know, like, aha, take on me. Like the Atmos mix of that is is completely mind blowing. The Elton John stuff is great. You know, there's artists like uh, Julian Lennon and Stephen Wilson that are doing Atmos mixes with their own material and mixing it with just that in mind. And it's it's completely mind blowing stuff. Hans Zimmer. Sure. His stuff is great, you know. Yeah, and, and when you listen to those with that most mix, you're just sitting there and you're just I've gotten really into it because I fly a lot, right? And I'm really into like just trying to be like ensconced in sound when I'm in the plane. And I'll put on like an Atmos mixed post-rock record. And it's just and it feels like you're inside a movie. Yeah. You know, like it feels like, oh, like I'm sitting here with my head down and then oh tinkling in from the back of me is this whatever. And then, oh, here's the, you know what I mean? And that's how I've kind of viewed it. And it's magic. It is. And that was the taste I got too, was, was I got my first pair of AirPod Pros and I stuck on Beatles Abbey Road. It just happened to be the first album I put on. I had no idea it was even Atmos. It just sounded so different to me. I was like, this is the best thing I've ever heard. And then I figured out that it was Atmos. And that's kind of where I started going down the rabbit hole right there. But honestly... You hear it on the AirPods and it's a great experience, but when you hear it in a room with a full setup, it really does just take it to the next level where you're like, okay, now I really understand what's going on. And that's what I did. I, there's a place down the street that has an Atmos room, a stereo store that's been in Portland for about 50 years and they have an Atmos room. And I was just completely blown away. I'm like, I got to get into this, you know, and it's still a struggle, you know, I've had very, very few people that have wanted Atmos mixes, but the ones that I do, I did one for Circle of Size recently uh, in LA, and the guy works, actually, they have an Atmos studio in their in their room, in their studio that they do stuff for Disney. He works for like a motion picture company, and he didn't want any of those guys doing the mix there, so that was a little nerve-wracking because I sent the mixes I did for, for them. And they listened to it in their half a million dollar Atmos room. And uh, they had their like elite engineers listening to it. And they said I did a good job. So I knew I was on to something. That was like early on as well. Done some Witch Mountain stuff in Atmos just, just for fun, you know. But I've only done uh, maybe three albums and a live DVD and a handful of singles at this point. So the Atmos room sits pretty much unused <laughs> a lot of the time. A lot more people recording and, and mixing in stereo still. Absolutely. Okay, that was a much deeper rabbit hole than I had intended for us to go down, but it was very interesting. <laughs> Sorry about that. <laughs> no, it was cool. I don't want to take too much more of your time, but I wanted to talk real fast about the recording side of things. You know, What was that experience like building up? What is it like to kind of build a DIY recording studio? You know, how do you get that gear that you need? How does that happen? Well, luckily, a credit card comes in handy when it comes to that because um, it's it's a big investment, even for a small studio like mine. Um, a lot of mistakes were made too. You know, I bought a lot of gear that I thought I needed that I ended up not 
needing or getting rid of and, and changing out for things. There's there's a huge learning curve, but I think the main mistake I made was buying the gear um, based on just what, and I did a lot of good things, but just based on what I'd seen in studios I'd been in, just being on the other side of the glass, you know, and talking to some engineers. But I'll, t- I'll tell you what, the biggest thing I, I made a mistake on was not acoustically treating my room because the room is is the big thing. Having a good sounding room and having a good sounding listening environment are the big things. And that, you know, that costs for even my small setup, a couple, $3,000 just to make it sound right. And then um, buying the right microphones and buying the right gear, it's an investment. But um, I'm at a point now where I have have to, don't have to buy a lot of stuff at this point. You know, it's just repairs and maintenance. It's a little nerve wracking, you know. Especially when you're recording bands, like I almost like don't even understand why you'd become a rock producer because it just it costs so much more than just to record hip hop artists. But I love it. I love that you did it because you're killing it. Right on. Thank you. But yeah. you know, and the other issue too is like everybody has their own opinion. You know, it's a very subjective field. So when you ask like this guy that you trust their opinion, this guy, they're going to tell you two different things. So ultimately, you have to go through a lot of different gear to figure out what works for you. But, you know, microphones and having a a really good set of preamps and a good sounding room is the main thing, you know, good sounding monitors. Yeah. And then it's just it's cool to see how far that setup's taking you, even from you sent me pictures. But I remember visiting it pre-pandemic before you had really, like, built it into what it is today. Yeah, it was a lot smaller. I had to tear down some walls and I spent about a month and a half just construction for sure. (laughs) Yeah, this is what it's about. If someone was looking to kind of start their own room, what would you want them to know? Just focus on the monitors and the soundproof and the um, sound treating? Um, yes. Acoustic treatment is is important. First of all, you know, what kind of budget do you have? If you have um, a set amount of money, try to make it go as far as you can. Buy, you know, I used reverb a lot. I, I bought a lot of used gear. Almost, you know, 80% of my stuff was used. I bought my first computer off of eBay for like $500 that was older, you know, buy used. That is the the main thing. And do your research, uh, measure your room, make sure that you have enough room to do what you're doing. And, you know, bigger isn't always better when it comes to monitor. You got to get the right size monitors for how big your listening environment is. Just be wise and do a lot of research. YouTube is indispensable for information. There's a lot of bad information on YouTube as well, but you know, a lot of research before you even spend that first dollar is probably the wisest thing I can tell anybody. That makes a lot of sense. That sounds like a hard learned lesson. <laughs> for sure. <laughs> you know, I didn't I didn't do anything too terribly bad, you know. Um I did buy a lot of outboard gear when I first started and I ended up getting rid of almost all of it. I sold some of it to Billy. I sold some of it to Howard Halls, the studio here in town. Most of the stuff I do is completely in the box now. Gotcha. Which makes sense. Yeah. How you're doing it. Well, digital has just gotten so much better that I can get, I use a lot of analog modeling. I love my tools and they work really well for what I, what I do. You know, I wouldn't have it any other way at this point. That makes sense. That's really cool. What are you excited about going forward? Well, I'm excited about, um, I've got a, a big, I got an album from one of the bands that I recorded that um, is out on Ripple um, next month yes. called Viral Tyrant. Very good sounding album. Thank you. Um, you know, it's one of those things. It's it's the 
the horse chasing the carrot with this, you know, I listen back at it and there's a million things I would have done differently now, you know, just two years later. But I'm excited about that because in this business, you know, advertising, you know, I'll, I'll do the occasional social media plug, but really it's about people hearing what they like and um, it's word of mouth. It's it's hearing those albums. So I'm excited about that coming out. They got their record release show that they're coinciding with the Bongzilla show that they're playing on. They're a great band. and I've, I've been helping them as much as I can, you know, along the way. Um, there's another band I just recorded called Nixora um, that I feel like is some of the best stuff I've done so far. I'm not sure when that's coming out, but um, it sounds killer. Uh, I'm just excited for more people to hear the stuff I'm doing so they want to come in and record, you know, because I feel like I have the advantage of being the music- musician that's done this for a long time and uh, having spent so much time on the road. And, uh, you know, I just love working with bands because I feel like I'm one of them. I try to be in the band when they come in and record their stuff. So that's that's exciting to me. And what's exciting to me in the future is just getting more bands in here and getting the word spread, you know. These are good things to do. Any uh, final words of wisdom you want to share before we wrap this one up? It's the ear, not the gear. Go with the people that um, have ears that you trust. It's not always about the flashy lights and the knobs. What's your favorite Spinal Tap quote? Oh, man, that's going to be tough. It changes. Um, The one you quoted was pretty good, you know. Especially Um, in your current life situation. Oh, you know, when people come in here and they want to put a drink down here next to all my gear you know on my desk where the the console is and stuff i'm like no don't even touch it don't even look at it (laughs) (laughs) that's do people get it oh yeah i'm like i go my drink is set here you know (laughs) because i own this place but that's the one thing i'm a little worried about you know and then people come up and they're trying to show me a wave form on the screen of my computer i hate fingerprints on my computer i don't know what it is about it's the ocd in me so it's like don't even touch it, you know. <laughs> and no, they don't get it unless I do it in an English accent. Some of them get it, but you know, I get a lot of young people that come in here and they don't they don't get it, you know. I know. And yet I have so many, so many memories of sitting backstage with you all over Europe doing spinal tap bits. Oh yeah. Yeah, I miss that too. And I'm hoping to get back over there soon, you know. Um, you know, with which mountain. At least start doing some more festivals. We got to do cycle last year and to these candle mass shows, but you know, with my new situation, it's, it's kind of a blessing that this all happened at the same time with the studio. And, but I got to be grounded for a little bit. Well, thank you so much for coming on, Rob. Yeah, Matt. All right. So that was awesome. Thank you everyone out there for listening to delirious nomads sponsored by blacklight media. We will be coming back at you next week with another awesome guest. Be sure to follow blacklight media on socials for new music and more. And above all, keep it heavy. It is now 2024, and the choice is up to you. Do you listen to good podcasts, or do you listen to bad ones? Well, we've got a suggestion for you. How about you listen to a good podcast for the first time in your miserable life? I can think of one. Overnight Drive. Going strong. 11 years now the podcast about nothing. 
your favorite podcast's favorite podcast. Do you enjoy nothing? <laughs> so do we. Why don't you come over and check it out and stop listening to other podcasts. Thank you. Hey everyone, this is Tuck from Fit for a King in Off-Road Minivan. Every week I bring you fun interviews alongside your favorite metalcore entertainers with my new podcast, Get Tucked. Join me every Monday with bands like Counterparts, Crystal Lake, like Moths to Flames, and many more. We play unsigned and undiscovered bands, deep dive into each artist's history, and of course provide the greatest breakdowns in current metalcore. Tune in to Get Tucked every Monday, out now through Sound Talent Media.